0: Thank you.
1: Today's Music Box
2: Wednesday, and what have we dusted off? Hunters and collectors, anybody who spent time at a university in the 80s or 90s will recall going to your main common room and seeing this Australian band. It's commonly cited as one of the more quintessential Australian songs. One music writer noted, nobody that has witnessed this song being sung drunkenly in a pub by a 100 people, arms linked, can deny this hold over the Australian psyche. And I don't know about you, David Slack, but I can certainly relate to seeing uh, this band here at uh, university several that, times, actually.
0: Yeah, that university reference is right on point. Um, I've got to say,
2: uh,
0: friends liked them more than I did. I, I, I don't, don't, don't say I disliked them. I, yeah. it, it, it just didn't light me up.
2: And they captured a certain era, didn't they, really?
0: Yes, yeah. Which is a long time ago That's now. It's now, not it?
2: Absolutely, yeah. Uh, a bit of feedback regarding uh, both um, public transport, we talk about that, also antivirals. Uh, Wallace, I just caught the last bit of your panellist talking about the antivirals. Did he say he got sick again very quickly and that the antivirals lower our immune system? I'm on my fifth day of Pax Livid. I feel fine, except for the metallic aftertaste. So um, go well, Ellie, and uh, hope you... Uh, get better. You want
0: me to clarify on that? Yes. Yeah, um, I, I had exactly that uh, metallic taste as well. And I was good. I was good for five days. Uh, I, I had a quick, you know, a, a, an, an appreciable improvement right away with Paxlovid. My problem, and then for about a week I was I was full of energy and going about carefully my day. And then I got the rebound, the Paxlovid rebound, which about, about one in 15 people get. And that's what set me on, on on my heels for about a month. That I, I was I was lying down a lot, and yeah. uh, it it took uh, quite a, a a time. And and the reason for that is that's when you're starting to see, um, a, as it was explained to me by by, by my GP, uh, residual parts of that initial infection it. that the Pax hasn't cleared out, and your own immune system has come in. Halfway through, and it's kind of like walking around a, a car park, doesn't know where the car is, and can't make the keys work.
2: Right. Now, David Slake and Nwanthi Samara with me today. Lovely to have your company. And to this, key agencies missed the chance to direct the Lin Mall terror attacker away from violent extremism. And he was locked up for so long, on remind for four years, it greatly increased his radicalization. This from a review out this afternoon into the handling of Ahmed Samsuddin, who injured eight shoppers in an attack just after 2.30pm September last year at Linmore Shopping Centre. Now he was shot dead by police, and the reviews said they were justified in doing so. Andrew Rahman is a New Zealand Muslim Community Leader, Project Lead for the Inclusive Aotearoa Collective, Ta Hono. Andrum, kia ora. Kia ora. A months-long review going to over 100 pages, locked up for too long, missed chances to de-radicalise, some key info not being shared. What is key in this report for you, Anjum?
1: So actually this report confirms what we knew from after the attacks and the information that was coming out. Um, And first of all, I want to acknowledge the victims of this attack um, and who should be front and centre in all of this we really feel for them um, and hopefully these reports will give them some further information, they will also need time to absorb this information is a lot of writing, I can't say I've read all of the reports but um definitely there were multiple opportunities to have some uh, rehabilitation and support offered to this person and the The report is laying out all the points where that wasn't done, all the delays in the system. So, the delay in, uh, so he was arrested for sharing material and put on remand, and then the police went to the classifications office to see whether it was objectionable or not. So, he's sitting there on remand, waiting for months um, for the classifications office to decide whether it was objectionable, which they decided it wasn't. They decided it was restricted. Um, And also, the second time around, he he was on demand for three years. He was under segregation for a good chunk of time. And because they didn't report him formally to a formal um, process, he didn't get any mental health support. He didn't get the three-month checkups. And let's also remember this was an asylum seeker, not a refugee. What that means is that he did not go through the Mangere Centre. He did not get all the support and the okay. mental health support that would have been received if he'd gone through um, the see. way quota refugees do.
2: OK. Now, um, Nwanthi, oh, sorry, Andrew. we have a panel with us, David and Nwanthi. Nwanthi, do you want to um, come straight in with uh, some questions or comments?
3: Yeah, thank you, Andrew. I really appreciate your time and those comments you've just said. How do you think um, we should sort of progress things in the next, you know, short to medium term, I guess, with some of with some of these findings as well, but also from your own experiences um, going through this sort of review as well?
1: So first of all, it's, it's the fact that they don't engage community in the way that they should have, and Mm -hmm. I don't know Mm -hmm. that they had community in all of those security group meetings. They probably didn't. They probably had no one from the Muslim community um, because they would need people that had strong security clearance, um, which could be done. You know, you could get trusted community members through having security clearance and then being able to get advice. Mm -hmm. Problem with this person was he was isolated. He had no family here connecting him to community would have made a difference, as well as they didn't engage with community properly when they released him either. So the report really Mm -hmm. criticises the fact that they had no long-term plan. The fact is they spent all their energy trying to deport him and no, they did not want to invest anything in trying to rehabilitate him. And that is ultimately what has led to where we got to
2: can I, can I just jump in there, Andrew? I'm saying, look, Police Commissioner Andrew Costa, he did say that he was uh, already radicalised by the time he was on police radar, and he says numerous attempts were made to disengage him from extremist views, but he resisted.
1: Well, here, here you have a person who in his country of origin was tortured. His father was tortured, And so this person already coming here has an inbuilt distrust of authority. It sounds to me like what was offered was offered by the state. And I know for a fact that um, when he was appearing before the judge in 2018, there was a rehabilitation plan Mm. from the lawyer put to the judge, which the judge accepted, but it was never put in place. I don't believe if they had... Community involved in connecting him to community. That, I mean, I'm sure there would have been a much different outcome.
2: Okay, David.
0: Kara and Jim, I'm uh, interested in this whole. Um, I'm very find that compelling what you're saying about uh, community engagement, huh? and I'm just wondering: is there a, an ideal process for ensuring that happens, or a particular way that it's done? You, you, you mentioned the refugee system as being better
1: yeah i i i mean this is the thing that that there needs to be resourcing of communities like you can't just expect um random people random committees of of religious you know buildings or so on to have the skills and so there needs to be that capacity building there needs to be resourcing um and then you have a pathway there to connect people into something else and make sure that they're not just spending all their time online. Now that's not just for our community. That's, for, that goes for any kind of people that get into extremism, whether they're in sales or white supremacists or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, what you find is so a lot of them have very little social contact. Yeah. Um, and all the contact they're getting online. and so how do you break that cycle and make sure there are communities that they can connect to, where they hear something different to that rabbit hole that the algorithm has taken them down?
0: It's are, there are there any particular instances you've seen that that are effective in, in, in making that connection?
1: Um, it's, it's really hard, but it takes the thing is that it takes time. It takes Mm. a lot of time, and that's what we're seeing with a lot of more extreme anti-vax people, you know, on the QAnon and those kinds of people. It's kind of like a cult and trying to get someone out of a cult, and, you know, that's never easy. But I reckon, for me, it is that same process that you have to try and use, and and what works is keeping that connection with family because what extremist groups are very good at is making sure that you do not trust anyone other than Mm. them. Cutting you off from your family, cutting you off from mm. friends, mistrust of media, mistrust of authority, mm. all of that is, is what draws them, you know, that's when they're right in there. And so keeping that, those trusted relationships, keeping them knowing that they're valued, keeping that engagement is really critically important.
2: Andrew, thank you very much for your time this afternoon on the panel. That is Andrew Raman, uh, project lead for Inclusive Aotearoa Collective, Ta Hono. It is 15 to 5. You're on the panel, RNZ National. With me today, Nwantha Samara Cohn, who's a company director, David Slack, producer of the daily newsletter, More Than a Fielding. And to this, other big news this afternoon. The government has confirmed the 25-cent cut to a fuel excise duty. It'll extend until the 28th of February. And by the end of March, the entire transport subsidy package will end. Goodbye, that public transport subsidy. While the cuts have helped a lot of people who are struggling with the cost of living, the Ministry of Transport estimates the cost total to be uh, $1.3 billion. The additional extensions are around about $116 million. With us is John Reeves, the National Coordinator of the Public Transport Use Association. Kia ora, John.
4: Good afternoon, Wallace.
2: Well, I guess we knew we, this wouldn't last forever, right? And here it is, coming to an end. Goodbye.
4: Well, it's really bad news, actually, and it's ironic that today I received an email at 12.27 from the Minister of Transport telling me how great their plans for decarbonising New Zealand are and their plan for 2022 to 2025 and didn't mention anywhere about enticing people into public transport. And so cancelling that discount for public transport users is... Um, really not a good look for the government.
2: Yeah, and look at the eye-watering cost, um, way past the $1.3 billion. Is it worth it?
4: Well, that's probably more associated with the discount on the fuel yep. uh, excise tax rather than actual costs of public transport. We've got to remember that those buses and those trains are going to run anyway. So if, you're, if they're a quarter full or half full, or full, um, they're still going to run. So the, the cost of running them is uh, it's, it's that one, yeah. Okay, so just so so John,
2: so John then to the public transport specifically, why not just target it, move to targeted um, subsidy, which is what they're doing. So those with, you know, your community service cards really make an impact for the cash that you do have.
4: Well, look, I agree, and I, and it's good It's good to have community service cards. people get, having free public transport, but at the end of the day, we're also going to be moving into a recession, unfortunately, and so even middle-income New Zealanders are going to be squeezed, and so why not get them onto trains and buses? Why force them to, or, or not uh, entice them out of their car? Okay,
2: here we go. I want to hear from you this afternoon. Targeted or universal for public transport? Uh, text me, 2101. Where do you stand, Nwanthi?
3: Oh, absolutely targeted, Wallace. I think you know we can't just be everything to everyone, but also we've got to help and and support the communities that will I think benefit the most, but also be able to leverage the services the most. As you said, John, you know those services are going to be running anyway, and and the idea is we don't really want under capacity though, do we? I mean that's not what we're aiming for here. John,
1: so targeted.
4: Yeah, no, look, I'm, I'm for keeping it broad to get as many people on board buses and trains as possible because if you're a daily worker, it doesn't matter how much you earn, you're still probably driving in a car to work. Why not try and get these people out of those cars? And as Minister of Transport said today, they have a plan for decarbonising New Zealand but it doesn't seem to uh, include uh, having discount public transport fares.
3: Do
2: okay, you, David, so you know biggest, oh no, keep going to one another question.
3: Sorry, Waz. Do you know the biggest challenge, though, with this, if, you, if we're going to be very open and say use the public transport and get out of your cars, is the reliability factor. <laughs> that, I think, is the biggest challenge we've got in this country.
4: Yes, I totally agree. At the moment, where it's terrible, buses across the country uh, you know, aren't running, and so we've got to no, sort that. The theories don't, don't uh, show
2: totally agree. Up or yep. Mm. All right, so you're on board with that, John. David, uh, targeted or universal when we're talking public transport? John, I've
0: got a question for you, and it, take, it goes back a little way to the last time in Auckland, AT did free, I think it was, was it all public transport or was it just the... the no, it was all all free public transport for the weekend. And do you recall just how much the whole thing thronged? um they they were jammed because the difference it seems to me between half and nothing is very substantial and i I, well two questions first is do you have data on that and just what kind of numbers they got and secondly do you have data on what it would what it might entail if we actually go free altogether which has been a successful model in other european cities and have you explored it much
4: that's a really good question but i would first of all say We need to decrease the costs of running public transport. And currently in New Zealand, we have allowed multinational foreign operators to run all the buses in Auckland and Wellington and Christchurch. And so they are obviously clipping the ticket, making profit out of the public transport services. So if we need to, first of all, decrease the cost of these operations, we should bring them back in-house. There's no point ratepayers subsidising foreign companies to run public transport. So and ferries. Yeah, and ferries, yeah, totally agree. So let's change that first of all, we'll get the costs down, and then we could move and say, right, instead of half price, should we go to... to Who would
2: run them, off? John? Who would run them?
4: Well, you know, in New Zealand, we used to have these things called councils that used to run all the buses
2: and <laughs> um, <and> in Spain. <laughs> oh, my ARA, goodness me. That is going yeah, way back, <laughs> John. That is very old school. Well, the, what, yeah. the council's running uh, running the buses and the ferries.
4: It's very interesting, interesting, Wallace. I have met in New Zealand a director who's just retired from running the Basel tram and bus network in Switzerland. He's just retired in New Zealand. And he said, "Wow, well, I can't understand New Zealand. Why are you outsourcing to foreign operators to run the services? Because there, they're a council-owned um, organisation. Wow. And they run all not, their own services.
0: Not all our ideas 100 years ago were a bad idea. <laughs> we, we did pretty well in the Second World War. Our <laughs> state housing was a pretty good one, and uh, making free high schools worked out pretty well for everybody jo- too. John, I would John, Wallace. put
2: me – okay, fair enough. Put me in touch with this person, John, and we will have him on uh, the panel. A lot of feedback coming through. Kia ora, John. Thanks for your time. A lot of feedback right. coming Thank through. You. Uh, universal public transport versus targeted. I want to hear from you. Nuanthi says uh, absolutely targeted. I think that David Slack is airing towards uh, the universal uh, there. But finally on the panel.
0: Universally free. Big difference, Wallace.
2: Okay, okay. This is interesting. National MP Simon Watts is calling on cross-party support to fast-track a bill that would make it mandatory for children under 15 to wear life jackets on small boats. He wanted the new maritime law in place for summer. As it stands, not going to happen. Water Safety New Zealand has previously asked the government to consider making a change as there are currently 17 separate regional bylaws, no national standard. Water Safety NZ Chief Executive uh, Daniel Gerard is with us. Kia ora, Daniel
5: how are you team?
2: Good, thank you very much. We, I had a bit, little bit of a homework on this, Daniel, and I realised that this actually goes back years and years, this issue. Uh, and I actually was quite surprised, to be quite frank, that uh, you, can put, you can put a seatbelt in the car, but it's not mandatory for you to put a life jacket when you're going on a boat ride.
5: Absolutely, it's ridiculous. Um, the last opportunity we had to have this conversation was 2003. And now we need to take the time to make the right decision, not just a rash one. And look, I can't support uh, National and Simon Watts, Watts' view with regards to making it compulsory for the, the under-16s. Well,
2: why hasn't it happened?
5: Look, I think uh, there seems to have been a lot of noise around people not wanting to be told what to do when they're out on their boats. Uh, The surveying that we've done, the public are quite clear that 93% think it should be mandatory. And even when we talk to the boaties, 90% of them believe it should be mandatory in a boat less than six metres. But we've got to make it mandatory for everybody. We've had about 160 drownings associated with no life jackets over the last decade. Only five of them, six, sorry, only six of them were children under the age of 16. This is a, an older male in particular challenge, not young children issue.
2: Right. Okay. Interesting, Nwanthi. I mean, it's, it, it feels like uh, a no-brainer. There might be uh, some unintended consequences of this. I can't uh, think of what they might be right now. What do you make of this?
3: You know, Wallace, no, I'm sorry. Well, with- first. I so agree with your views on that. I think this just needs to be mandatory, full stop. I I have to say, Wallace, on reflection of this as well, you know, when I'm on the boat, water, fishing, as you know, I do that to sort of relax and and get away. Um, It's interesting how many people can just don't know the rules on the water, full stop. So, you know, they would pass you on all the wrong sides and you sort of think, my God, you could just literally take people out by doing that so from a water safety perspective we, we just don't seem to have that down packed in this country and so when you look at this on top of the life jacket issue i think this you know i think it's about time we actually lift the game in terms of all health and safety requirements on water when you are out on the water um and, and this piece in life jacket i think it's mandatory across the board it isn't about age personally
2: david david
0: slack it does seem bizarre to me that the the things people choose to object to being told what to do. Good grief! This just makes absolute yeah. sense. And 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 um, oh, can I just clarify, Daniel? It, I I hadn't picked that up. So that the the law would not um, apply to under sixteen. So, so it's, it, yeah, it, it wants, so wants I to
5: think yeah, national have jumped on this uh, just recently. So we've been in negotiations. Maritime New Zealand have been in conversations with the minister. Of transport for you know over a year now around specifically changing rule ninety one in the act, um, and that is about mandatory for everybody. What uh, uh, National have come right. up with their members' bill is the under sixteen bit.
0: Oh, okay, right. So they they do want it for under sixteen, or they don't?
5: Yeah, they do want
0: it, but only yeah. for under sixteens. Oh, I see. okay. Right. Oh. Mm. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm perplexed.
2: Yeah, a bit of yeah. pushback on this. Uh, not everyone is actually uh, for it. I've got to say, um, uh, Daniel, there's a little sentiment saying, look, leave us alone. We know what we're doing. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're, we're smart and responsible, those of us who uh, do own boats. Yeah. Nwanthi here, though, um, I know, Nwanthi, you're a long-time boater and uh, you know, love your fishing. You're for a man. So in terms of comfort – doesn't worry you is it, a lot of people are saying it's too hard to put on and you forget, but you're okay with it, Noanthi.
3: It's so not Wallace. It's so not and you know, I love my sense of style. So yes, it does have a bit of an impact when you're out in the water with a jacket on. It doesn't quite always, you know, match or fit in. But that that you just that's some material, right? It's it's actually about the safety and safety of others as well. Because if something does go wrong and you're in the water, you should be able to Support yourself, but also support anyone else around you if you can, that is. And I think, you know, so, yeah, as far as I'm concerned, this is just okay. a no-brainer. It needs yeah. to
0: be for everybody. It's all good till it's not.
2: Kia ora, Daniel. Wilmot we'll come Correct. back with us. actually. It's quite interesting. That's uh, Daniel Gerard, Water Safety, NZ Chief Executive. We have one minute to go, just a book each to recommend. We're doing a series uh, in the next uh, week or so. Uh, Nuantha, you first. Book for our audience yeah. for, the, for Christmas.
3: Um, I've got my hands on a book called Curious Habits, which I got given by Luke Mathers, and that is going to be my summer reading.
2: Okay, David.
0: Snake. Look, the, the book I've been re- referencing and recommending again and again and again this year in my newsletter is The Dawn of Everything, A New History of Humanity, which is by the late David Graeber and David Wengrow. It, it reconsiders exactly what and how things happened and, and evolved over the last 30,000 years. It will absolutely um, fascinate you, the, the possibilities wow. we haven't considered.
2: Good on you both. Wonderful show this afternoon to you both. Nwanthus samara Cohn, David Slack. Thank you. I'm Wallace Chapman. Back tomorrow, 3.45 in studio. Checkpoint up next.